This is FemPower Health. Each week, top women's health experts dispel fact from fiction. The most important pelvic floor exercise is not the Kegel. Challenge the status quo. It's never easy to challenge the accepted leaders, and especially if you're a woman. Provide perspective on why your healthcare journey may be so tough. All of that fear and worry, it all upregulates our nervous system, puts us into fight or flight mode, and increases our pain sensitivity. And what you can do about it. The number one thing is you have to advocate for yourself, and you have to be prepared. Your journey to get empowered starts now. One third of all women will experience prolapse at some point in their life. So what is a prolapse? Clinically, it's defined as organs going out of place. But I don't want to scare you on what that means because there's actually different degrees of it. And in today's episode, I interview Corey Hazama, who is a previous guest of the FemPower Health podcast, and her episode on pelvic floor physical therapy is one of my top five most downloaded episodes. So that tells me you guys want to learn more about your pelvic floor. And today, Corey provides a crash course on prolapse. So whether you're concerned you might have one, you're kind of far down the road and in stage four, or you just want to be preventative, this episode is for you. And I always like speaking with Corey because she is a natural teacher and her thoughts are incredibly helpful and well thought out and easy to understand. So let's dive in. You can kind of think about prolapses in two ways. So we're specifically talking about the pelvic organs. So that would include the rectum, the bladder, and the uterus. And so prolapse can occur within the vaginal canal. Um, And in that case, it's organs moving into the vaginal canal, and that would actually be called, we call it a seal. Um, We also have prolapsing that can occur where the organ actually moves out of its its own hole. So that would be the rectum coming out of the anus. Um, But the rectum can also move forward and kind of fall into the vaginal canal, and that would be a rectoseal. Um, All of them really should be kind of staying in their their, their designated places. And so when they're kind of moving or dropping uh, out of their place, we would call that a prolapse. And of course, there's like different grades of it. So it can be very, very minor um, to like a centimeter or so um, to very severe where the organs actually, for example, the prolapse of the uterus, which is you know, moving out of the vagina, it can actually, the cervix can actually move uh, entirely out of the vagina. And that would be a grade four or one of the more severe types of prolapse. So that's kind of what we're talking about is just like the organs are moving out of the positions that they really should be maintained in. The people who tend to get prolapses, I mean, it runs the gamut, but there are certain things that we understand can put you at more risk to develop a prolapse. And so that's increased maternal age of you, the pregnancy. So when you deliver older, sadly, (laughs) the older you are during the delivery can increase the risk that this will happen. Um, Also having multiple. So this is like your like third delivery um, that increases your risk. Um, And then also just from my own experience, people who tend to be more prone to get them are those that have more stretchy connective tissue. Um, You know, we talk about the bite in scale, but it's like a measure of hypermobility. So some people can do 
um, extra flexible things like I can't, but like they can, you know, extend hyperextend their elbows, their knees. And so we measure that on a scale of how much hypermobility they have. And so it just means that you have extra stretchy collagen. And so you just don't have as much support just built into the system to kind of suspend things and hold things in place. Um, And then also those who are chronic strainers. So someone who's had constipation their entire life and are constantly, constantly pushing, pushing, pushing and straining, increasing their interabdominal pressure over and over and over again, also tend to uh, put increased risk on developing um, prolapses. Oh, interesting. I didn't even think about that with the, the straining. What about those who hold it in when they need to pee? Same thing? Not necessarily, um, because holding it is kind of like, I mean, you're at risk for other developing other things uh, with that. I mean, specifically pelvic floor muscle dysfunction or too tight pelvic floor muscles. Um, But it's more like having too much pressure, um, like internally, so interabdominal pressure uh, and pushing that out against your pelvic floor. Uh, So it's like everything bearing down against your little pelvic organs. Uh, and that overwhelming pressure over extended period of time, and depending on just genetically what your collagen is like, can it sustain that amount of downward pressure over and over again? Okay, that makes sense. Thank you. And then what about as we age? Um, so if you're in perimenopause, menopause, does that also impact because of the hormone changes? So I guess just do yeah. the hormone levels impact it as well? Yeah, I, I believe that that does play a significant role. Um, because I've had lots of patients who, you know, they delivered 20, 30 years ago, um, and now they're going through menopause, and maybe this thing never bothered them in the past, but now all of a sudden, um, they're having difficulty with bowel movements, or they're having more uh, urinary incontinence. Um, and that can be a couple components. So um, one, uh, as you're going through menopause, not only is your estrogen decreasing, but also testosterone. And we know that testosterone plays an important role in uh, the strength of muscles. So your muscles could be getting weaker and not able to sustain and hold up against, hold up your organs as well. Um, but then also estrogen plays an important role in just the bulkiness of the urethra and the vaginal tissues and the vaginal vault. So that also creates some intrinsic stability. Um, and so again, with, and usually there's these underlying factors, it's like, you know, you're kind of already at risk a little bit because you strain a lot in general, or you just don't manage your internal pressures. Well, um, you know, like some people just fell salve a lot, you know, they don't know how to use their abdominal muscles. Well, um, they maybe clench their pelvic floor muscles more. So that's all uh, examples of having would impact your ability to, to uh, organize your interabdominal pressures. Again, without these extra little protective factors that hormones provide, it kind of just, I think, makes the, the problem more apparent. And it might seem like, oh my gosh, this came out of nowhere, but it was kind of like, you know, you things were kind of keeping it from being extreme. And now like you lost the integrity of the vaginal vault a little bit, as well as um, the muscle tone. And now all of a sudden it seems much, much worse. How would someone even know they have it? So you've described what it is. You've described what could cause it, but how does one know? Now I will add a personal antidote here. So I learned about pelvic floor physical therapy through a childhood friend's sister who actually I think came through your center to learn some of the the techniques. But then 
I ended up going to your center because um, I remember last time we had spoken about how a lot of hip issues could have something to do with the pelvic floor. And I was having hip issues. And around the time I went, because you educated me so much on pelvic floor muscles, I'm like, I think I might have prolapse. And it's it was minor. It was really minor. And I went in and she checked and she's like, you have grade one. And that was my first time learning about the grades. But to be honest with you, I only knew to check because of all these podcast interviews that I do in our conversation and my interview with Loose Bread about incontinence. So how does someone who doesn't even know to look for it monitor that something could be going on so they could be proactive and not get to the point where the organs are Mm -hmm. almost literally falling out? you know, we can grade prolapse, but ultimately, you know, as a physical therapist, like my main concern uh, with prolapse is, is it giving you symptoms? Is it functionally impacting your ability to pee, poop, um, have sexual function, you know, jump up and down, um, you know, run a marathon if you want, like, that's when I care about a prolapse. If a prolapse is really bad, you will know, because I have these patients come in and they're like, yeah, there is something there. I see it. I feel it. When I clean myself after I go to the bathroom, there is something there. And sometimes I have to push it back in. Um, that's, <laughs> you don't miss that. I mean, um, but if you're not so sure, one way to test for yourself, and this is honestly all, all what we do um, as, as physical therapists, is you can insert a finger um, or two fingers into the vagina, keep them in there first, and then you would bear down like you're trying to push out a bowel movement. And you should not feel anything moving into your fingers. Nothing should be coming down into your fingers. Nothing should be pushing forward into your fingers. And nothing should be pushing back into your fingers. The uterus is prolapsing. What you'll feel is as you bear down, you'll actually feel like the cervix. And it feels kind of like, you know, the tip of your nose. Um, You'll feel that make contact with your fingers. Again, it's like you really shouldn't have any movement of your organs when you're bearing down. It just, nothing should happen. Um, You might feel the muscles kind of like, you know, pushing apart or or whatever, but that's like a muscle girl contraction. It feels more like this. And you shouldn't feel like tissue, like the walls, like the whole wall of the vagina kind of like pushing in um, into your hands. I'm thinking of a friend of mine who had a baby and she proactively um, did pelvic floor physical therapy just to make sure after she had the baby, there weren't going to be issues. Cause I think she might've had some slight, we didn't go into incredible detail because I'm not an expert on this, but she did say that she proactively went. So you talked about, you know, the people who are at risk, like pregnancy is an easy one. It's an event, you know, when you had the baby, it's very black and white. What would you recommend as far as um, being proactive in situations like that, where it's a black and white situation that could cause the prolapse? I think the best thing, and this is unfortunately um, what I don't see enough of, is, um, is going to a physical therapist before you have the baby. A lot of women are like, I'm feeling fine. Nothing hurts. You know, I'm ready to do this thing, you know, um, and, you know, they do some birthing classes, but what they don't do is they don't come in and see a physical therapist actually have us go through. This is how you're going to push. I'm going to check your pelvic floor muscles, make sure they're getting out of the way, make sure you know how to like use your abdominal muscles to kind of funnel um, downwards <laughs> so that you're like actually able to move the baby downwards. Um, and get your pelvic floor muscles out of the way uh, to make sure that they're 
actually pushing as efficiently as they can. We also can use biofeedback or um, which are like little electrodes to kind of also examine like, okay, are you pushing better on your side? Are you pushing better in quadruped? Are you, you know, pushing better on your back? You know, so it's, you know, kind of going through all the different positions so people kind of know before they head into the delivery room. This is when I am best able to generate the forces I need and not put added strain on my pelvic floor. They already know that going in after they've seen their physical therapist. It's harder when somebody delivers and like, say they had to push for four hours and then they come in and now they have a prolapse and now they're having incontinence. Um, you know, we can do a lot of things to help proactively if they could even prevent that kind of from happening, that would be ideal. Wow. Now, is this something every woman should do? Are there certain criteria? Because let's face it, in our healthcare system, unfortunately, most specialists are not covered and a lot of OBGYNs, I would assume, wouldn't even think to recommend something like this. Is there maybe some sort of criteria of like, okay, if I were to have a baby and I don't have unlimited funds, how do I decide whether or not I should be the one that must be proactive? Yeah, I think, you know, honestly, it just, it if you're not having any um, issues, like you're not having back pain or SI pain or hip pain or, um, or you know, any of those things going in, it really only is like one session, you know, just um, peace of mind. Are you doing everything you need to do? You know, are your hips moving? Can you actually get your hips? Like if you did have to deliver, you know, in that like um, knees up and out kind of position that most women picture themselves delivering in, some women don't even have the flexibility in their hips to get there. Um, so, so it's like, it's, you know, it's, I, I do think that we need to get the word out that like, it's, it's really just one visit. Your OB is not looking for these things. Um, we're physical therapists, you know, we know hip range of motion, we know how muscles function, we know about coordinating muscles, um, you know, we know about like optimal, like pelvic bony, you know, look at the sit bones, make sure they can actually like spread apart so the baby can move through the canal. Um, like we're looking for these things and it really only takes one visit, a couple little tweaks, a couple of things we can teach you um, that you can do at home or have your partner assist you with, uh, to make sure that you really are like going in there as, as, as readily prepared as possible. What about, you know, anyone else? Is there anyone else that you would say, here's who should be proactive and this is when you need to be proactive? Anyone with chronic constipation. There's other reasons why you should be coming in for physical therapy. <laughs> but if you do have chronic constipation and you are finding that you're just straining and you're straining more and more, um, that is somebody who should come uh, get checked out. Um, also, anyone who is having some back pain um, or especially back pain with bowel movements or straining or like, you know, if they're when, when they're increasing their interabdominal pressure and they're having that referred to their like low backs or something um, that usually registers in my mind that something's going on with the pressure isn't being regulated well, which is going to put more strain and pressure on your pelvic floor and potentially on, on your pelvic organs. Um, so those people, you know, having hyper um, mobility uh, in general isn't usually a reason to come in for 
physical therapy because you you might be at risk for prolapse. But if you were somebody who is hypermobile, who is straining a lot, is thinking about perhaps maybe getting pregnant at some point, uh, it might be good also to kind of address those things sooner rather than later as well. Okay. Okay. Those are good examples. Thank you. Because you're a pelvic floor physical therapist, we started talking right away about coming in for formally pelvic floor PT. But what are ways of getting support? So I don't know how best we do this. If it's, are there things you can do at home before you come in? There could also be the grades. So like if you're in the beginning stages, it's a few visits. This is what happens. If you, you know, the impact of if you waiting, you think you can hold out, you think everything's going to be fine, or you're scared to go to pelvic floor PT and your organs are coming out. Can someone like that be helped? And if so, what would it take? Uh, Most prolapses, in my experience, again, I have no literature that proves this, but in my experience, it seems like we can improve things by like a grade or so. So um, again, it's like once it's already started to prolapse, um, there's not a whole lot we can do to kind of return the structures that are stretched out to their um, their previous tension, because what is happening is it's like the things that are holding the uterus up are these ligaments that are supporting the uterus. And those are what's stretching out. We're working on the pelvic floor, which is underneath all this stuff. And so, you know, we're, we're hoping by creating some, um, some strength and stability through the pelvis, it helps to kind of support the organs. Um, but we can't make the, like the suspenders, you know, tight again. Uh, so if someone has a grade four and their uterus is like all the way out, I cannot, there's no sort of miracle that I can work that's going to make that return and stay up, you know, in the canal at a grade one. So obviously, like if it's gotten to the point where it's that severe, you might need some, some type, kind of external support, like a pessary or something uh, to actually, you know, from within the canal kind of hold things in place. Um, they can be very effective, but a uh, gynecologist who specialize in that needs to fit that. Um, and then, you know, obviously there's pelvic surgeries, uh, which, you know, I don't think we need to get into, but honestly, like for grade four, that might have to be an option because again, it's like no amount of Kegels, uh, no amount of abdominal training is going to uh, return the organ back into its original place. However, um, a lot of times we don't really have to think about like, you know, someone who has a grade one, it can be very uncomfortable for them. And so I don't care what grade it is. I just know that it's uncomfortable for them. And so then it's about figuring out what is it about that grade one that is so uncomfortable for them. Like if you feel very heavy and, you know, really um, make it challenging to to move around or cause pelvic pain. Um, And in those cases, it's like we have to, you know, there's usually other things going on. Like there's, there's tension in the pelvic floor or the pelvis is, is, is lack some of its mobility. Uh, There might be hip restrictions, lower back restrictions, uh, or also just a, an overall, in coordination of the of the abdominal core muscles with the pelvic floor muscles with the diaphragm uh and so that's like that doesn't depend on the on the grade you know it's like a lot of grade doesn't necessarily dictate like how much discomfort someone's going to be in there's been a lot of tools that have been developed 
where you can buy them on Amazon, where they train you through an app and a device that you put into um, your vagina that helps you with understanding if you're doing Kegels properly. Can you talk to us a bit about how someone should look at those devices? Because I'm sure they're great. It's great for education and things like that. But you know, my understanding is there's tons of muscles down there and it's much more complex. And I still remember the statement from our previous episode, which I think I refer to a lot, which is if you don't do the Kegels properly, then that can also have an impact. So if I were someone who's like, I don't, I can't find a pelvic floor PT. I don't want to pay the money. Let me just get this thing on Amazon. Like, what would you say to that person? If you know that you're doing the pelvic floor muscle contraction correctly and you need like a training aid to I don't know, hold you accountable, I think they're really great. Um, but the problem is they're not sensitive enough. They just know that you're contracting, but they don't know how you're contracting. So I always break the pelvic floor up into quadrants. It's not like it's just one piece. You know, so it's like, you know, if you're looking at the pelvic floor, it's like all the muscles have to contract together equally, you know, from all sides. Um, And what you feel sometimes is a a very strong asymmetry. It's like just the back is contracting, but like there's nothing happening in the front or the right side is really active and the left side like a little is a little late in or it's not coming in as strong. And so it's the asymmetry that creates a lot of this, like these shoving forces, which can create a lot of that discomfort that people complain about. And so with those training devices, I feel like they're not giving you the whole picture. And it's really important to have somebody who understands the pelvic floor and the importance of the the correct uh, activation sequence and the coordination with all your muscles is really important. Like you could get an idea for this just tactilely by putting your finger into your vagina um, and doing what you think is a Kegel. And there should be no butt squeezing. There should be no tucking of your pelvis. There should be no... um, squeezing of your knees together, but it should feel like that. I think it was almost like a diamond, but it should feel like all sides of the diamond come in together. And a lot of people feel something happen and they assume that's what's supposed to happen, but all sides should actually come together. And then should actually feel like almost like a, a little lift. Like it's like you're pull, it's pulling your finger in. What about if someone says Kegels aren't working for me? Well, I'd say um, either you're performing the Kegel incorrectly or that's not the right prescription for you. Kegels on their own are not some miracle exercise that's going to like cure everything. Um, I think we've gotten that a little bit into our heads, but, you know, in all honesty, think of like when you were healthy and like nothing hurt and like, you know, you're your bladder and your rectum are doing everything they're supposed to be doing, which means you're not actually feeling anything, nor is it causing you any distress. Um, did you ever Kegel? Probably not. So it's not no. like an active thing that we should be doing regularly. Yeah. So I, I feel like we've gotten the misconception that they're like the fix all. Um, but it really is like these, these muscles, these pelvic floor muscles do not ever work in isolation. And a lot of times it's not their fault. It's like something else higher up, like either your abdominal muscles are not providing, um, the, the tension required for the pelvic floor muscles to engage appropriately. A lot of times it's just the alignment 
of the muscle. So through posture, uh, the muscles are just not in the optimal alignment to actually engage appropriately because these muscles actually are supposed to be automatic. It's like when you're in the correct position and you need them, they are there. Um, and we don't have to prime them. They're automatically supposed to happen without any conscious thought to it. And so a lot of that depends on like, are they set up for success? And a lot of that comes down to the alignment of the, of the bones and, and your posture. Interesting. So, you know, and, and again, I probably even subconsciously without intention focused on, on the Kegels and some of the questions I'm asking. So what are some of the other, I guess, prescriptions um, that would help someone who is dealing with a prolapse. So Kegels are one, like what are some of the other things you as a pelvic floor physical therapist can do? Um, and then maybe we can dive into the things that aren't within your remit, but are other options that women can look at. So first and foremost, I'm always looking at alignment and posture, because again, we're thinking about our bodies are this enclosed canister and it really is just a pressure system. And so like if the pressure inside overwhelms the pressure outside, then it's like, then you have (laughs) problems and like, it's about controlling that. And so it's like, that's what your pelvic floor muscles and and essentially like, so the top of the canister is your vocal, vocal folds. Okay. So we regulate letting air in, you know, holding air, like letting air in, holding air in, you know, like holding our breath, whatever, like to kind of engage and create pressure within the system. And then our pelvic floor also can open and close to either, you know, sustain pressure or kind of let pressure out. Um, So I spend a lot of time on like, okay, can somebody actually get into the proper alignment to have their pelvic floor muscles engage, have their abdominal muscles engage, regulate the pressures better so they're not getting, you know, um, I always have to stand up and do this. But so like, if I have faulty alignment, I'm standing like this, when pressure goes down, all the pressure is kind of pushing outwards. And I have a blad- little bladder here. And so all the pressure of my body and gravity is just pushing my bladder straight out. Um, if I'm in this position and when pressure goes down, it goes down through my whole trunk. And so then it's dispersed equally along my pelvic floor. My pelvic floor actually has the ability to engage and kind of control that and provide support. Whereas in this position, in the front, it's so overstretched, you really can't do much of anything at all. So I spend a lot of time on that. I also spend a lot of time on breathing, um, breath control, um, you know, making sure the pelvic floor muscles, because again, it's a, a lot of times there's asymmetry. You always think that with prolapse, it's like, oh, it's weak. But a lot of times it's like, there's actually areas that are, are tight. And then other areas are, that are overstretched because the other areas are too tight. It's almost like it's like pulling on the reins of a horse. You know, it's like the ones that are overstretched and tension because the back ones are shortened and tight and pulling, um, the front ones are not going to work. So they're not going to be able to engage the way they need to. So we work a lot on the imbalances of the muscles, making sure also that like hips have good range of motion, back has good range of motion, flexibility, making sure there isn't other external tensions on the pelvic floor that the pelvic floor needs to work against or isn't going to allow them to perform to the ability that they need to. And then we do work on Kegels, but from um, the perspective, not just like Kegel, Kegel, Kegel. It's like, can you symmetrically contract these muscles um, with your, with your abdominal muscles and your breath uh, and then also let it go when you need to, and then also have full range and control to actually have a bowel movement, actually increase your intra-abdominal pressure to bear downwards, 
but then be able to allow the powerful muscles to get out of the way. Do you prescribe yoga sometimes for people? Because you mentioned the breathing and yoga is very much a lot of the, the breathing components. Do you sometimes just have people do that or is it very specific prescriptive type of breathing that you're trying to help with getting the body aligned in a certain way? I actually really, really love Pilates uh, because it does engage the breath along with the, with the core muscles and also pays a lot of attention to optimal alignment in a way that I think is actually really, really beneficial for people. I've heard some people talk about vaginal steaming helping with their prolapse. Can you tell me, because look, I, I am willing to try anything. I've actually tried vaginal steaming um, and it did help with some other things, but I heard about it. And as you know, there's not a lot of data in women's health. So I always like to ask the question and, and get various experts' opinions on it. So what have you seen with that? Have you tried it? Have you read it? By the look on your face, I'm thinking, <laughs> heck no. <laughs> Well, I haven't, I haven't tried it. Um, so I can't really speak out of, you know, personal experience, but just from like a theoretical standpoint, one, I think it'd be probably be very nice. And I'm sure, you know, if you have some dryness or if you have some skin, also just the, the warm, moist heat, I think would help with blood flow. So if that's something um, you're struggling with, and again, blood flow is always going to be um, very beneficial for the pelvic floor muscles, all your, like your entire pelvic region, um, probably would do really well, really well. Like, you know, you're getting good blood flow, but like from an actual, like physiological standpoint, I'm not actually, you know, it's, it's probably in order to actually make the tissues tighter to return things to their previous positions. I, you know, I can't imagine that, steam would be enough to actually accomplish that. Um, would you say one would look at prolapse as being reversible? I think we kind of have to look at it from the standpoint of like, how distressing is this prolapse for you functionally? Um, and we can absolutely improve your function um, that this prolapse is impacting, but keeping out of our minds, whether or not like the position of the organs actually changes. With respect to you're in like, you know, the stage four of it, where you're in a bad spot. Like I've heard all sorts of things that people have done. Um, is it the, the, um, is it the netting? Is that what I can't remember now what the term, yeah, the netting, which mm -hmm. I've now heard I think, aren't they saying you're not allowed to do it anymore? They've changed it. I know there've been a lot of issues with that and negative impacts that people have had. And, you know, some of these other surgeries you were talking about. So I don't know if, you know, you're a, an expert on it or can at least just give people a list of like what's available and maybe things to consider if they do need to go past a pelvic floor physical therapist, like what are the questions they should be asking these other experts so that they're making the right decisions should they need to get to that point? You know, I, I really think it's it's not a failure on yourself if you end up having to need a surgery for these things. Again, it's like if it's gotten to a point where it's that bad, you know, it's it's really, you know, I would try everything you can, make sure, you know, everything is as in you know, working as well as possible, that your pelvic floor muscles are working well, your core muscles are working well, that you have good mobility, good flexibility, all these things. And if this prolapse is still 
um, distressing to you, um, then, you know, considering, you know, going to a surgeon um, who does these surgeries would be probably the next option. Um, because if anything, you know, if everything's working really well, then, you know, at least if you have the surgery, you're going to be in a pretty good place to come up back from it. Several years ago, there was a lot of lawsuits because the type of mesh they were using was eroding through the vagina. They, they were playing around a lot with like, because mesh is, um, you know, it has like like little holes in it. You, know, you think of like netting um, and they were playing with like how big do those holes have to be? Um, and, you know, obviously it's not an ideal situation to have mesh, um, but a lot of times it's, it's really the only option that there is. You know, they do do surgeries to kind of strengthen just by stitching, strengthening um, either the anterior, the posterior vaginal walls. If you're having a lot of um, like rectal dropping forward or, or bladder dropping forward, they also make bladder slings, which kind of can kind of wrap around the urethra a little bit and help restabilize that. Um, usually those, it does use a little bit of, it's called tape, but it's like a little piece of mesh. Those ones usually aren't as... Um, severe is like the one the the mesh for like the, the, where all the organs are prolapsing and it's pretty much just an entire hammock that they make that they thread through your pelvis um the other thing that um is an option is having a hysterectomy if you're if that's um if you're not planning on having any more children uh, a lot of times they just do a either a partial or a complete hysterectomy and then they kind of use these little stitches to kind of pull everything back up again and usually attach it to the inside of your pelvis to your, uh, your sacral ligaments uh, to help kind of restable, pull up the vaginal vault a little bit. Uh, so there's lots of options. You know, I have, um, I have patients who've uh, gone through with it and, and we tried everything we could. Uh, Cause again, a lot of people just, you know, surgery usually is not like where pe most people want to go. Um, so I'm absolutely always willing to try everything we can. Uh, and at least we know we've tried everything we can. And so if you get to the point where it's just like, you know what, I physically am in a really good place, but this prolapse is still really um, a major problem for me, then, um, then, you know, there's definitely some really, really excellent surgeons out there to talk to. And how would someone find those excellent surgeons? How would someone know that they're going to the right place? you know, consider word of mouth is important. A lot of people have had these surgeries, you know, like I'm sure online there's lots of forums. Uh, but again, I would look for a surgeon where this is what they do. Uh, you know, they're not like a generalist that's doing prolapses, but then also, you know, endometriosis, also, you know, bladder slings. You know, so like, it's kind of like their bread and butter. This is what they do. And then also just like getting multiple you know, multiple opinions, like seeing several doctors, see if you're hearing the same thing, um, you know, if you're getting completely different suggestions, you know, obviously, I'd probably want to do some extra research and just make sure why is this person suggesting this and this person wants to do this. And yeah, I'd probably want to, you know, make sure that I'm getting as much information as possible before going in. And then just going back, because we didn't uh, dive into it, just in case people didn't understand what this is, a pessary, can you explain what that is and how it works? Uh, so pessary, they come in lots of different shapes and sizes, plastic or um, silicone, or, or they're coming different materials, but it's something that you actually, 
um, put into the vagina. And sometimes they're circular shapes, sometimes they're square, sometimes it looks like a tampon. Um, but what it is, is it's just a space occupying thing, <laughs> which like helps to kind of create a force that pushes out the vaginal, against the vaginal wall to kind of just push the organs back to like the places that they're supposed to be. The Yanni eggs, how do those differ from the pessary? I mean, it, it sounds like they're obviously different, but just in case um, someone sees the Yanni egg, it's like, well, can I just use that? Like, how would you differentiate that? Yeah. So then I think of like the jade eggs is more like um, a vaginal weight. And so that's about, you know, putting something that actually sits on top of the pelvic floor muscles um, that has a little weight to it that is cueing the muscles to create a contraction to try to hold it in. So that's, you know, to try to help one, you know, with kinesthesiology of your pelvic floor muscles, but also create a little bit of a challenge uh, for your pelvic floor muscles. Um, these pessaries, um, typically they're, they're going to probably like the one I'm thinking of is, is a circle. Uh, and it, it's almost like, like, like the diaphragm or something, but it goes up into the vagina and it kind of, it, it actually pushes outwards. Whereas like the Yanni egg is more like it's the forces downwards. So you kind of want it to like, you know, you kind of like squeeze it and push in and then it pops out into place to kind of push against the walls. It's supportive versus like, you know, facilitating a contraction or something. Okay. No, that's very clear. Thank you. Now, how does one know, okay, I'm in a good place. And I know you started off by saying the grades don't really matter. This is really about how you feel. You'd mentioned that as far as helping someone, you could maybe get them to a certain point, not always to perfect so given the nuances, and this is not something where it's like, check, 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 now you're done. How does someone know, okay, I'm now in a good place? I mean, most people are coming because they're, they're experiencing um, some sort of sensation related to the prolapse, um, or at least feels like it's related to the prolapse that's impacting them in what they want to do. So it's like, I'm trying to run, but I feel this thing, you know, kind of falling out while I'm running. So, you know, I obviously I want that to be resolved. Um, so, you know, we set goals in physical therapy and it's kind of like, one of the first things we ask our patients is what it is, what is it that you want to do? Or what is your number one thing, you know, that you want physical therapy to help you with? And so we're keeping that in mind. And, um, again, it's about, you know, functionally, what does this person need to want to do? Um, that um, this, this prolapse or the sensation of a prolapse is impacting. So I think once you kind of start to see those things coming into place, and I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious. It's like, oh yeah, okay. this is getting better. And if it's not, then we start asking ourselves some questions about, okay, like your muscles are getting stronger, your hip range is better, but you're still having these symptoms. Okay, let's go back to the drawing board and figure out, you know, what other things we, we need to really work at and where does physical therapy end and you need to send you to somebody else who can maybe address those things. Okay. That makes sense. And then what about maintenance? So let's say I've gotten to the place where I'm able to achieve whatever goal. I'm now able to run without feeling like I need to pee or whatever, whatever it is. 
Should someone be doing maintenance or is it very dependent on what caused it in the first place? Like I'm thinking of myself, like I'm hypermobile. I've been in and out of PT. I'm now coming to your center again and it just never seems to end. And so I'm sure like for hypermobile people, it's probably things like maybe you shouldn't do the yoga as much or something like that. But what, what um, maintenance uh, should someone consider or do they even need it? No, you're spot on. I mean, it's, it depends on the person. It depends on like what they're arriving with, you know, so if you have an underlying condition like hypermobility, I mean, that's something that isn't going to change and will put you at increased risks, you know, going forward in your life, regardless of what you do that you have to just be hyper aware of. Um, And so if that's the case, it's like, yeah, you're going to have like your little, list of a few things that like, you know, that you have to maintain, like, okay, I I know that I have to make sure that I'm doing, you know, keeping my core strong, you know, I know how, you know, Corey taught me to stand, I know how Corey taught me to lift, you know, so it's like, you know, maintaining those practices and incorporating those into your life so that you know that you're really protecting yourself in the best possible way. Great words of wisdom. And uh, I have to admit, I'm still doing yoga, but I really am careful. Like I try, I tell myself, Georgie, don't over, don't overstretch. I know it feels so good. Don't do it. So I really try to like hold things in and I'm hoping (laughs) that it's the right thing because I really need my yoga. Anyhow, (laughs) if you, if you love it, just knowing what those limitations are, it's, it's fine. Like if you don't go to like end range and like hang there, you know, and it's just like moving in and out of positions and, you know, really working on more of the stability factor of it, then, um, then it's, it's fine. But again, it's like knowing you and your body and um, what's safe for you is, is, is really, you know, part of the, part of the process. So the last question I like to ask, you work with so many women and, and help us through our many, many challenges and probably see a lot of the challenges in the healthcare system as well. And so I'd love to ask you what your greatest hope is for women's health. Oh, my greatest hope. I mean, I, I think I said this last time, but I just think I, it's important that every uh, person is in, in, empowered enough to know what's out there uh, and that there is help and there's just no one has to suffer or, you know, like live with it or just, you know, put their head down and just bear with it. You know, I, I think there's always help. There's always hope out there to, to, to get the help that you need um, or at least the guidance and the support. I mean, that's part of what our job is, too, is just to um, be there to support and educate and encourage So I think, again, it's like everyone having, knowing that there's options, um, that it's not just like you're, you're stuck in this, you know, the way you are kind of thing. Right. No, absolutely. And yeah, when it's things like this, the answers aren't always clear, which can make it really frustrating, but I agree, you know, not giving up and finding the right person and asking the right questions is important. So thank you. So thank you for what you do. Thank you for making time. I know this has been a really busy time of year for both of us. So I'm really glad we were able to make this work. So thank you. Thank you. No, it's uh thank you again for having me. Always an honor to speak with you. Oh, thank you.